Get the latest news at the click of a button inside your car. The new Bloomberg Business app, now featuring Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Listen to all your favorite Bloomberg radio stations and podcasts, including Bloomberg Surveillance, plus the latest news all on your dashboard. It's, it's free and easy to use. Just download the Bloomberg Business app on your smartphone and connect the phone to your car. The Bloomberg Business app, now with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto features. Download it free in the Apple Store or on Google Play. Presented by our sponsor, Interactive Brokers. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Is the Fed done? Is this basically what we're looking at right now? The all clear sign for the Federal Reserve to have to do more. Jay Bryson, chief economist at Wells Fargo, joining us now. I ask that to you, Jay. Does this sound the all clear for the Fed? It does for right now, Lisa. I mean, you know, these numbers are going to bounce around on a month by month basis. You know, I wouldn't. uh, Our view is that the Fed probably is done, but I don't expect Fed officials to be coming out just because of this one report saying, oh, it's all clear. Everything's great out there. I mean, I think they're still going to continue to be biased to potentially tightening. We don't think that will happen. But, you know, if in the next few months these numbers kind of reverse and they kind of pop up and, and the economy expands at a stronger than expected rate, you could potentially see them going. But again, I think that's a high that's a high bar at this point. This adds to signs that there is some sort of cooling. And this is the reason why so many people are talking about a soft landing, because you haven't seen the real cracks you'd expect ahead of a massive recession. Jay, do you think that that is an accurate categorization of exactly what we're seeing with prices not going up as much as people had expected? Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I mean, if we were still clipping along at a year over year rate on the core of a 5%, we'd be talking about the Fed hiking even more. And when you start to hike even more, that's when you have the problems. So, the, you know, so the potential for a soft landing is still there. I guess what I'm a little bit still <coughs> watching and concerned about is that the real Fed funds rate, the, you know, the nominal rate minus some sort of inflation rate continues to drift higher. And that's what matters for the real economy. And so I think the Fed's going to delay. Um, easing at this point. And so we may or may not have a downturn early next year, but I think the next few quarters, because monetary policy is going to remain restrictive, I think you're looking at headwinds on economic growth. Is it mission accomplished? There's a comedy to that, a painful comedy for our geopolitics, our history, Dr. Bryson. But are we getting to a transitory point where this Federal Reserve can say, mission accomplished. Well, again, Tom, I don't think they're going to come out and say that right at this point. But you know, what I would say is the bar for f- further rate hikes is getting higher and higher at this point. Many of the members on the FOMC think they have done enough at this point. And, you know, today's rally in the 10-year notwithstanding, you know, we still have seen, you know, relatively high long-term rates. And so there's a fair amount of, of headwinds on the economy right now. Again, they're not going to come out and say mission accomplished right now. They need to 
to see a few more months of this before I think they feel confident in that. This is certainly a good start in that uh, that um, journey, but I still right. think you see need to see a few more months of point twos before they say mission accomplished. Lisa, the mission accomplished December 12th, a CPI report before a December 13th Fed meeting. And just to really echo what Jay was talking about, that the bar is getting higher and higher for them to go again. Evidently, the bar is getting a bit lower for them to cut rates. Fed dated swaps are now pricing in the first 25 basis point cut for June versus July before we got this print. Jay, there is this issue of what we're going back to. Are we seeing a fast enough pace of disinflation to believe that 2% is very much in the horizon? You and your team have been excellent about the last mile of getting inflation down from 3% to 2%. How far along that process are we? So, you know, if you, I don't have the numbers here in front of me, Lisa, but, you know, I think if you look at the three-month annualized change in the core, we're probably at 3.5% right now. So if you want to get back down to 2, I mean, what you need is you need a few months of 0.2s and even 0.1s to kind of get you there. And I think we're still looking at a number of months for that. We, we don't think we're going to be looking at that sort of number until the second half of 2024, but I don't know if we necessarily need to be 2% annualized right. for a few months before the Fed cuts. I mean, they're going to be looking forward, right? And if they are confident that things are really going to slow down, then they could start to um, cut rates, you know, maybe summer or so of next year. Dr. Bryson, thank you so much. The chief economist of Wells Fargo, Jay Bryson. David Kelly will adjust. He's chief global strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. With his years at Putnam knows when the facts change, he will change. David Kelly, how does your analysis change with this shock report? Yeah, so it, this, this report is actually very close to what we're, what we're looking for here. Um, as we're tracing out inflation, we can see it coming right down to, to below 2% on the consumption deflator by the fourth quarter of next year. And I think what's really important about this report is there are, there's a large camp of people who say that the last mile is sticky, getting from three to two is sticky. And we don't see that at all. Uh, we're going to step down inflation all the way through the fourth quarter of next year. And what I think this report is showing is across the board, there's disinflation in the U.S. economy, and we're heading back to 2%. And I think that that is gradually changing the minds of the markets. I think that's why we're seeing this move here. Although it's not necessarily coming with pain, David. And this goes to the soft landing nirvana that Neil Dutta was talking about, that real average hourly earnings increased by 0.8%, up from 0.5%. People's earnings are exceeding the pace of inflation at a, in a material away for the first time in a long time. How much does that lead to a stickiness because people have the means to keep paying the prices? I don't think so because I mean we've had periods of, uh, of positive real wage growth before. But what I'm seeing looking at the earnings reports from, from the last quarter is companies are very focused on holding earnings in check. Now, yes, you can say that today's earnings are higher than inflation, but from a worker's perspective, they're not even getting catch up from all the inflation they saw over the last two years. Um, so what you're seeing is partial compensation for previous inflation, um, but I don't see a lot of evidence that companies are, are being able to push higher prices, uh, the workers being able to push higher wages. So overall, I think what we're seeing, we're not <coughs> seeing a price wage spiral, we're seeing a price wage slinky. They're both gradually coming down the stairs slowly. I think this is just gonna continue all the way to 2%.
And there's a question mark around, yes, this is definitely good for bonds, and you're seeing that rally in a massive way today. Is this necessarily good for stocks over the longer term if it is accompanied with a cooling in the economy? Yeah, I think it is. Now, now there are things that could go wrong, and there's certainly parts of the stock market that are overpriced. Uh, but I think what's happening is we're returning to where we were 10 years ago. Uh, we're returning to an economy with 2% inflation, very slow growth. Uh, that low inflation can allow for lower long-term interest rates, which supports all asset prices, bonds and stocks alike. And of course, stocks are, are the ultimate long-duration asset. Um, so they will benefit from this lower rate environment. So, you know, soft landings never last forever. They'll eventually right. be bumping the, bump the road and we'll fall into recession. But for right now, this does really show that inflation is steadily coming down and we've just got to we've got to recognize that's going on regardless of you know fed officials who occasionally say that we're not there yet or too early to declare victory look i'm willing to say we're going to win this thing it, it looks very very likely right. that we're going to win this get inflation down to two percent by the end of next year uh small stocks russell up four percent nasdaq up 1.8 percent though nasdaq 100 i should say dow lags up 1.1 percent standard and poor's 500 up 50, up 55, up 60, and now up 63 points, 1.5%. Dr. Kelly, I want to sum this up to the angst that Lisa Bramowitz has on our nation's debt. If we get inflation down, if we have a successful Fed, does that give you confidence that we can have a long-term R minus G relationship, R minus G equation, that will mean our debt and deficit is of less fear? Uh, a, a little bit. I mean, it's still, it's just, uh, I mean, what you're basically saying is we, we can service this debt uh, at cheaper prices, no matter how large it is. Uh, yes, we can to an extent, but I think the amount of debt we've piled up in recent years is going to mean permanently higher long-term right. interest rates than experienced 10 years ago. So that, that problem is going to be around for, for a while. And unfortunately, I see no evidence that there's any consensus in Washington about doing anything about, about it. So I'm, I'm still right. worried about populism on the left or the right just pushing these deficits higher and higher in the years ahead. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much. David Kelly, J.P. Morgan. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Joining us on Applied Mathematics of Big Box Retail, Elizabeth Suzuki joins us at Bank of America Securities. When you were going through polynomials and, you know, doing Ferris proof and all that in applied math, you think you'd be an aisle four <laughs> at Home Depot? 
I did not. I, I never thought that uh, my work was going to include um, channel checks <clears throat> at stores that I just go to anyway. In fact, now, you know, as a homeowner for the last, you know, six years, I'm in Home Depot pretty much every weekend, maybe every <laughs> other weekend. But That's I mean, it's it just never stops. Wonderful. I've never been to the one downstairs. Farrell's down there once a week picking up something. Let me cut to the chase, which is the new post-pandemic Home Depot world and for other big box as well. Can they fix the problem on the income statement? Mm -hmm. Can they take out expenses like Disney or you name the bank? Sure. You know, I, I wouldn't really categorize it as a problem on the income statement. When we think about what Home Depot is going to do this year in terms of sales, they're probably going to end up about 50% higher than they were in 2019. And just putting that in context of the broader industry, which is tracking up about like 20% versus 2019 levels, that's an amazing amount of market share that Home Depot has been able to take. I mean, we're coming down off of these very, very high levels of spend during the pandemic. Homeowners had, um, you know, easy rates to be able to borrow against. They also had, you know, stimulus money to spend. Um, they were moving at much higher frequency. A lot of people moved out to the suburbs during the pandemic. I mean, we've seen a slowdown in that. And, you know, I think what's been surprising this year to the downside and just where we've seen that pressure on the top line is really mostly from housing turnover basically coming to a standstill. Um, you know, so as as we expect. Really? Yeah. So I think, you know, as as rates start to uh, moderate or potentially even come down, maybe towards the second half of next year, I think that's going to help spur that housing turnover again. And we're going to see more of a return to normalization in terms of that top line sales growth. Given where mortgage rates are, do you really think we can normalize the fact that there are some people just locked in their homes with a two, three percent mortgage who just right. aren't moving? anytime soon. Yeah, you know, I think it's like when, once rates really stabilize, maybe come down a tick, you know, a couple of uh, rate cuts uh, potentially in the second half of next year, then, you know, the homeowner is saying, okay, like rates are probably not continuing to go up. I can potentially refinance if I were to, you know, move today. I'm locking in a rate that's higher than what I wanted, but I feel like there's some potential for that to come down over time. And maybe it means that people buy a house that's a little bit smaller than what they wanted, or it means that, you know, some people who are moving and, uh, you know, are going to have to absorb a higher rate. But because uh, households have such high levels of savings, they actually can absorb that. It's just it is uncomfortable, right? So right now we're feeling that discomfort in terms of existing home sales, which are the lowest they've been in 13 years. How much does Home Depot rely on the housing market mm -hmm. versus the fact that if people aren't moving, they are buying new refrigerators, I'm just saying, or right. they're buying new stoves <laughs> or new microwaves or other items in the house that might break? I mean, at a certain point, does that actually help? these companies? Yeah, I mean, the sector is not as sensitive to housing turnover as one might think. I mean, when you're seeing these you know, negative data points on housing every day, and if you already have sort of a negative bias, each one of those data points just kind of confirms your bias, and you're going to say, of course, things are terrible right now. So what we've done is we tried to look at basically every macro factor you possibly could. And this is really where you know that, uh, that applied mathematics comes into, into play, is we built a proprietary indicator of home improvement demand. And we, we narrowed wrote it down to 14 different factors that are reported monthly that we can uh, correlate to Home Depot and Lowe's same-store sales growth. Because at the end of the day, that's pretty much what drives these stocks, is same-store sales growth. So uh, we, we narrowed it down to these 14 factors. We built an indicator off of it. And then that indicator helps inform our views where we don't have to be dependent on the company's guidance. We don't have to be dependent on third-party forecasts. Like we're, we're able to actually look at the factors that matter. And then month to month, we can track each of those factors and not get distracted by the 
the noise that we hear in a lot of these other data points. How correlated yeah. is Home Depot to some of the other retailers that are not related to the housing or home improvement sector? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really interesting question. And I think, you know, when we boil it down and look to look at the broader sector and look at Bank of America's credit card <coughs> data for the home improvement retailers, which is, you know, just very broad category, uh, Home Depot has outperformed that group um, pretty consistently, like actually very consistently over time. And Lowe's has as well by at least 200 basis points. So, you know, the market share gains here are, are pretty material. And that's something that I want to just continue to kind of hone in on in this result is even though their sales are down 3%, we've seen the category down, you know, mid to high single digits year over year for most of this year. Um, but in terms of correlation to, uh, you know, to other retailers, it's it's pretty independent. I mean, it's, it's some factor of the broader consumer and the health there. And so obviously there's correlation to like a Walmart and a Target. But because it is related to housing and really home prices are one of the most <coughs> important factors driving home improvement demand, that's really where um, it kind of differentiates. We've all been surprised by the strength of this economy mm -hmm. this year. There's a bunch of companies that fall under your coverage. We're trying to work out whether we are at the precipice just around a corner from a severe weakening of the economy. Do you yeah. see any of that emerging whatsoever going into year end? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are categories that we follow that are struggling more than others. Um, you know, appliances, we talked about refrigerators. I mean, appliance sales are down. Um, you know, the volumes have been under pressure. Margins are coming under pressure as well. We saw uh, promotions that started in October um, for appliances. So if you're, you should get on it if you're uh, you're in the market for a fridge because I think those promotions are going to be, you know, pretty uh, pretty attractive this year. You need the camera on ground. You look so happy. You're so impressed with yourself. What kind, Go of, on, what, yeah. what kind of discount did you get? No, I just want to hear what you have to say. Carry on. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, consumer electronics is another one, right? I mean, as as Home Depot said in their press release, they're seeing pressure on right. big ticket <clears throat> consumer discretionary products. Right. So consumer electronics, right. definitely one of those appliances right. kind of fit in that bucket. As Ken well. from New York University just emailed in. So you're sitting here with Ken Langone. He's going to go, this is all a lot of great chat. But the bottom line after a three years pandemic malaise, let's call it, is can they get back on track to the total return mm -hmm. that we were weaned on? Can they get back to 16, 18, 20% per year? share return? Yes, I think, you know, in this current macro environment, that's tough, you know, because the consumer is pulling back on spending and we are coming off of mm -hmm. this, you know, sugar high from the last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, if we as we look to 2024 and 2025, we see no reason why there uh, shouldn't still be growth in the home improvement sector beyond uh, the broader economy. Liz, this was great. Thank, Thank you. you. It's good to see you in person as well. Yeah. Greg Valliere joins us right now, the Chief U.S. Policy Strategist at AGF Investments. Greg, in your mind, from your perspective, in your opinion, do you think this pass can pass, can get through Congress this week? I, I think they can. It's been so humiliating for them for the last few weeks. I think they know they've got to do something. Uh, the credit rating downgrade is serious. So, yeah, I, I'm at 6040. I mean, it's possible that a handful, once again, a handful of far right radical Republicans could kill this. But I think they want to give, at least on this first bill, they want to give Mike Johnson a victory. This is what I was going to ask, Greg. Who does this particular offer upset more? Is it Republicans within his own party or elsewhere? 
Well, it's a good point, John. There's there's so much in the bill <clears throat> to hate uh, for the conservative Republicans. There are no spending cuts, and they're quite upset over that. Uh, for the White House and the Democrats, the fact that there's nothing for Israel or Ukraine is very troubling. And we can say, oh, we'll get them some money in February. Well, they need money now. And I think to not send yeah. our allies this money sends a very bad signal. Greg, it's that time of year. Our Greg Giroux owns a high ground and keeping track of who's leaving, who's coming, who's going in the House, in the Senate. Juan Williams in the uh, Hill today, or yesterday, I should say, really writes it up of the Republicans leaving the House. I think this is underreported. You've got Buck, you've got uh, Granger, you've got Lesko, you've got Sparts, on and on. Is this going to be even a more Trump Republican Party, not in a year, but in a matter of weeks? It could be, yes. And a lot of the names you mentioned are people who are disgusted. They can't take it anymore. I also think there's a growing chance, a very good chance, that the next Senate uh, will elect a year from now will be controlled by the Republicans. They have, a, I think, an easy chance to take the Senate. You know, I look at this as wildly underreported. You know, the focus on Manchin and that in Spanberger, Virginia. Have you seen it like this before? Is this normal changing of the chairs, change, you know, musical chairs, or is there something unique here? Well, I tell you, Tom, I think what is unusual is to have Democrats talking now openly about a need to get a different nominee. That's really unprecedented. You probably have to go back to LBJ, uh, who lost support in his own party. That that makes the Democrats nervous, the fact that um, they could lose the Senate and lose it convincingly. We'll get back to that in one second, because I do want to get your view on that. But just to build on what you're talking about, the fact that Democrats are joining with Republicans, some of them, to back Mike Johnson's plan. Isn't this what got Kevin McCarthy ousted as House Speaker? Bingo. That's right. And I, I got to think that, that we could have a, a repeat. You only need like three or four at the most five uh, no votes and this whole thing could fall apart. So I think that Johnson has to worry that he could suffer the exact same fate as Kevin McCarthy. And there still are nine, at least nine ultra conservatives in his party who are going to vote against this, at least as for now. Uh, what's worse, though, on an international stage, you were talking about no funding for Ukraine and Israel. Is that worse than a government shutdown in the U.S.? I think a government shutdown is, is become so ordinary. Uh, a, a brief shutdown wouldn't be as serious as sending a signal to our allies that we can't support them. I mean, th th this, I think, is really very, very unnerving. And you know, one other point I'd make quickly, I do think the final outcome is Johnson having to cut a deal with Democrats. I think that's the only way we're going to get a deal in the next week or two is to have the two parties unite on this. What will be the ramifications of that? I, I call that doing a job. Boehner for our international audience. We've yep. seen this before. But then what is the outcome if he does that? The, the outcome is, is going to be an effort to, um, to oust him. I still think it's less than 50-50. I think they want to give him a victory, Tom. But you could see a lot of Republicans say this is totally unacceptable. Greg, let's talk about the race for the presidency next year. Yeah. The field is narrowing on the Republican side, and it looks like Nikki Haley's starting to attract some money. What do you make of the moves we've seen in the past week, Greg? 
Well, well Tim Scott didn't surprise me in the least. Uh, I think that they're the strongest, other than Trump, of course, has been Nikki Haley over the last few weeks. She's got real momentum. Uh, DeSantis does not. He didn't. He didn't even mention his endorsement in Iowa from the governor. Uh, I can't figure Greg, out. That was DeSantis. so weird. Can I just jump in? What was that about? Yeah. Why didn't that come up in the debate? I, I don't get it. She she endorsed him. I'd be bragging about it. But he didn't even bring it up in the debate. That that was um, mystifying. But it's still Trump's to lose. Trump has said some extraordinary things in the last few days about how his opponents are vermin, uh, using really, even by his standards, exceptionally harsh language. But his numbers hold up. He still has the base. And that means we need to narrow the field potentially even more for the Republicans. Who's next to drop out, Greg? Maybe Ramaswamy, he's got money, but I could see him drop out. He's got no traction. His numbers don't look good. Uh, I think I think DeSantis and Nikki Haley stay in and probably Chris Christie stays in. And that's good theater. Well, at this point, maybe the field is narrowing on the Republican side, but in some ways it's actually widening on the Democratic side. You said that there's real fear and there are real calls within the Democratic Party to have some other options than President Biden. How realistic is that? Who is everyone coalescing around? Well, that's the problem. Nobody. And I think one of the, the strongest things that Biden has is the lack of any clear successor. And I think because of that, he, he will be the nominee. Apparently, in the last 24 hours, he's been very angry, profane, criticizing people like uh, David Axelrod. I, I think he, he feels that he should be the nominee. I think he will be the nominee. What do you think he's upset about, Greg? Oh, mocking him for his his age, probably more than anything else. He can't do much. Can't do much about that. That's true. Greg Vallier of AGF Investments. <laughs> Don't think any of us can do anything about that, Greg. Appreciate the update, sir. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app. Tune in and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.